again, I teach that these things are listed not necessarily in order of importance, the most important thing, but as far as importance is what you've got to do. The first thing that you have to do when a crisis hits, you need to let not your heart be troubled. You need to start building yourself up in faith. You need to put it into perspective and remember that this thing is going to come to pass. It's only temporary. And I think that those are just critical things that you have to do anytime you enter into a crisis situation. Again, I want to remind you before we get into this that Jesus was talking to his disciples the night before his crucifixion. They were about to see him crucified. They were about to enter into this period between the crucifixion and the resurrection when they totally misunderstood the plan of God and thought that Jesus had been beaten and it was going to be the worst time of their entire life. And he told them what they needed to do. And he said in John chapter 16, verse 1, I think I I mentioned that to you, but he says, These things have I spoken unto you, that you should not be offended. If you compare this with the parable of the sower sowing the seed, Mark chapter 4, verse 18, it says that afflictions and persecution or hardship comes and many are offended and they don't bring any fruit to perfection. So when he says, I spoke these things to you that you wouldn't be offended, he spoke these things to us so that the Word of God would keep working in your life and that you could have been victorious. If the disciples would have done what he told them, And if they would have said, I refuse to let my heart be troubled, even though they were seeing Jesus crucified, if they would have said, I'm going to continue to believe the things that Jesus told me, that he would raise the third day, and if they would have thought about heaven and about how he was going to heaven and stuff like that, then according to these scriptures, they could have rejoiced and they could have been in in anticipation in between the crucifixion and the resurrection instead of in defeat. And if they can do that, and that's what Jesus was saying, well, then you can also prosper through your hard times. You do not have to fall apart like a $2 suitcase when tragedy hits. Amen? Very, very important. So anyway, that's what we've already covered. And uh, after he spoke to them about heaven, in John chapter 14, verse 4, he says, And whether I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Now, you know, sometimes we just read through these scriptures and we don't really think about this. But I want you to think about what's happening. Jesus just said, you know where I'm going and you know how to get there. And Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And so how can we know how to get there? You know, we don't always put it in these terms, but that would be just exactly the same as me saying, you know what I'm saying, you know where I'm going, and you know how to get there. And then if you turn around and says, no, I don't know where you're going, you would be countering what I just said. This was just, uh, in a sense, it was, Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. We do not know the way, and we do not know how to get there. You know, if you would stop and think about things like that, you wouldn't just... Tell the Lord he doesn't know what he's talking about, that he's wrong and you're right. And yet this is exactly what they did. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? And Jesus responded unto this in verse 6 by saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now you can teach a lot of things out of that verse that are all true. But I just want to focus on this one point. Jesus said, you know where I'm going and you know how to get there. And they said, no, we don't know where you're going. How do we get there? And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here's the point. The disciples knew Jesus, but they didn't 
really know Jesus. They didn't recognize what they had. They didn't recognize Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. They didn't recognize that no man came unto the Father but by Him. They knew Him in a physical, natural way, but they didn't have a full revelation of who Jesus was. Man, that's an amazing statement. And look at some of these other things. In verse 7, after he told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, in verse 7 he says, If you had known me, you should have known my Father also, and from henceforth you know him and have seen him. Man, this is a tremendous statement. Powerful statement by Jesus. And look at this. Philip said unto him, Lord, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. He just said... And if you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, you know him and have seen him. And Thomas says, Lord, show us the Father. He just says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And he says, show us the Father. They totally missed everything that he was saying. And notice this also. He said, show us the Father and it'll satisfy us. You know, another way of saying that is, Jesus, we aren't satisfied with you. But if we could see the Father, we'd be satisfied. Now, we don't always think about things like this, but this is exactly what this is saying. Jesus just said, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. If you've known me, you've known my Father. And they said, Lord, that's not enough. But if you would show us the Father, we'd be satisfied if we could see the Father. That's a backhanded way of saying, Jesus, I'm not satisfied with you. And let me just point this out, that you know what? If you aren't satisfied with Jesus, you're just hard to satisfy. You know, there's a lot of us that think, man, if I could have been one of Jesus' disciples, if I would have been there, if I'd have seen all of these things, I'd have never had a problem. Man, I'd have been a believer. You know what? They, these are people that walked with Jesus for three and a half years and they weren't satisfied. They were still wanting something more. They thought, if I could just see the Father, I'd be satisfied. Did you know it doesn't matter really what goes on in your life? It's not what is happening around you, but it's the way that you perceive it that really makes the difference. Jesus was the express image of the Father. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. If you have seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Jesus was God's greatest gift that the earth has ever seen. And yet the people who knew Him the best here on the earth weren't satisfied with Jesus alone. They wanted something more. You know, the Scripture actually teaches that what you and I have is greater than what they had. We now have a revelation of Jesus that the, that the uh, disciples didn't have. You can actually know God better through the Word of God than you could have known Him if you would have been a physical disciple of Jesus and would have been walking with Him and have seen Him. Boy, those are some amazing statements, but I believe that's absolutely true. You know, I don't know if I shared this with you. Have I talked about uh, that show, The Passion of the Christ, in here? A little bit. Well, let me, let me just point this out, that I went to see that show, The Passion of the Christ, and I had a friend in Florida that came back, and after seeing it, he was just devastated. I mean, in a good way. He was just impacted by that tremendously, and I was at his church the Sunday after he had seen uh, you know, a preview showing of that thing. And when we were singing some song about, uh, I don't know, the sacrifice that Jesus made, this guy just crumbled to the ground. He was crying and he got up and talked about how that, that had impacted him so much. So anyway, that's, my, that's the way I was introduced to it. I went to see this show, The Passion of the Christ, expecting to just have an epiphany. 
I mean to have something awesome happen to me. And you know what? I'm not critical of the show. I believe it's a good show. I praise God that Mel Gibson had enough courage to make it against all of the criticism. And Mel Gibson himself says that he uh, had to tone it down because if he would have made it as brutal as what he believed it would have was, it would have been like triple X rated. Nobody would have come to see it. So he admits that he played to the uh, crowd and to the ratings and toned it down. But you know, when I went to see that, I was actually disappointed with it. Not because... Mel Gibson didn't do a good job. It's none of those things. It's just that you cannot depict... Uh, you know, I have trouble saying this. I don't have the words to say it. But it, you can't depict in any visible way or with words what truly happened to Jesus. It's just infinitely greater than all of that. It has to come by revelation. You have to see it in your heart. And the point that I'm making is that when I was watching it, the disciples, as I was watching that film and seeing the disciples, the disciples didn't know what I know about Jesus hanging on the cross. They were looking at it as, I thought you were the Messiah. I thought you were going to redeem us from the Romans. They had misconceptions that I don't have in retrospect, see. And I've got the scriptures and I can, I can list at least... 13 prophecies that came to pass during the crucifixion of Jesus. The disciples didn't know that. I mean, as I was watching the crucifixion, I was thinking when he says, you know, I thirst and they gave him gall to drink. I was thinking of prophecies and it was just so amazing because of my perspective. They didn't have that perspective. Uh, they were looking at Jesus like he had been beaten, beaten. I was looking at him like, man, what a sacrifice that God Almighty didn't draw on any of his true power and anointing and he suffered these things because of his love for us. I was seeing things totally different through my eyes than they were seeing it. And the Lord spoke to me while I was watching that and said that if you would have been one of the disciples of Jesus and if you had physically watched the crucifixion, that it wouldn't have impacted me as much as me studying it through the Word with the Holy Spirit revealing it to me in these things. And the Lord, and what I left that show with was recognizing that, you know what, my perspective 2,000 years later about the crucifixion of Jesus and the things that I've seen through the revelation of the Holy Spirit is much more vivid and much more real. It impacted me much more than it impacted the disciples. They were there because they were looking at it through unbelief, through confusion, through fear. I'm looking at it through faith with the benefit of hindsight and the, and the Holy Spirit. And uh, anyway, I've got a whole teaching on this in my series entitled Faith Builders, and it talks about walking by faith. And you can actually get to where seeing something with your heart and seeing it by faith is better than seeing it with your eyes. And anyway, the reason I bring this up is to say that, see, this is the way it was with Jesus' disciples. Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, but He was robed in flesh. He was clothed in a physical human body and the disciples didn't honestly realize the glory and the awesomeness, the majesty, the almightiness of Jesus because of that physical body. That physical body was actually a distraction. You know, here's another thing. I'm, a, I'm what they call a lucid dreamer. I don't know if any of you have ever read about that, but I read this article in Reader's, I mean, not Reader's Digest, but National Geographic, and they were talking about dreams, and then they described things, and, and I'm, they have it classed as a lucid dreamer. I dream in color, 
I mean, I can go to sleep and in five minutes I'll have three or four dreams. I dream all night long, every night. I, I can wake up if I don't like a dream, I can stop it. And I can wake up during the thing. I can go back to sleep and finish my dreams. I can go to sleep and decide what I want to dream of. It's amazing. Matter of fact, I have dreams and sometimes I'll sit there and tell myself it's a dream. Don't worry about it. During my dream. Or I can sit there and if I don't like it, I can change my dream during the thing and say, I refuse to dream this. I mean, I don't know why, but I'm just a, what they call a lucid dreamer. There's people that are like this. So my point is that I dream in color and everything is so vivid to me. And one time I had this dream that I was one of Jesus' disciples and I was there and saw Lazarus raised from the dead. I saw Jairus' daughter raised from the dead. We saw all of these things and we were walking down the road after Jesus and man, we were just overwhelmed. I mean, we were just absolutely shocked looking at all of these miracles and we were punching each other like, did you see that? (laughs) Did you see what Jesus did? And right in the middle of this, I was talking to one of the other disciples and Jesus just whirled around and stuck his finger right straight in my face and he says, who do you say that I am? And everything that I had witnessed and seen and heard in what my heart said was that Jesus was the Christ. He was the Messiah. But in this dream, I was looking at him and Jesus was just as plain as any person in here. I mean, he was... You know, we get these ideas in your mind. You think of Jesus as uh, however you want to think of him. But the truth is that, you know, they didn't have holiday inns everywhere that Jesus went. He walked 20 miles a day, got sweaty, dirty... He didn't carry a suitcase. He didn't have a change of clothes. He didn't take a shower every day and put on brand new clothes and they weren't ironed every day. Jesus smelled. Jesus had B.O. They didn't have hair dryers. They didn't have uh, shampoos. His hair got dirty and matted. There's times that Jesus was dirty and filthy. And you know what? When When I was looking at him in this dream... I knew what the truth was. I knew what my heart said, but I was looking at his physical body and it was just hard to look at somebody in a physical body with all of these things, dirty, smelly, and just natural in every single way. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 52 and 53 that there wasn't any beauty in him that we should desire him. He wasn't a lovely person. And as I was looking at him in this dream... I mean, it was hard to say, you're the Christ. And I had to literally force myself and go against every sense knowledge, every normal feeling that I had to force myself to say, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so through that dream, I got a little bit of a taste that, you know what, the disciples, it was hard on them to believe that this was the Christ. They saw him get tired. They saw him get hungry. They saw him dirty. They could smell him coming. They saw that Jesus had to go to the bathroom just like any of the rest of us. And you know what? It's hard to look at a person like that and think, this is God. The point that I'm making is, see, we think that, oh, if I could have been back then, that would have been better. If I could see the Father, that would be better. We're always looking for something else and missing what is right in front of us. Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. He was the way, the truth, and the life. They knew Jesus, but they didn't really know who Jesus was, and they didn't fully appreciate who they had. And here's my point in saying all of this. When we're talking about going into a crisis situation... 
Did you know you have to recognize that Jesus is the Word, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us? And just the same way that they had Jesus, but they didn't recognize what they had and they were wanting something more. They weren't satisfied with Jesus. If they could see the Father, they would have been satisfied with that, so they said. But you know what? If they would have seen a vision of the Father, they wouldn't have been satisfied with that either. You can't ever totally satisfy yourself. You just have to take things by faith and make a stand of faith. And here's the point that I I teach out of these verses. When you come into a crisis situation, you have to keep from panicking. You have to start believing God. You've got to put things into perspective. And you need to go to the Word of God and recognize that the Word of God is your answer. The Word of God has everything in it that you need. And sometimes you feel like, no, what I need is somebody to put their arm around me and hug me. What I need is somebody to come and do this. And we're always thinking, if I could just have this... If Andrew could just give me a prophecy, if this would happen, if I would see a vision, an angel, a dream, something else. But you know, all you need is the Word of God. I just got through with a series in um, Phoenix where I taught five lessons on this and I took the parable of the sower sowing the seed, Mark chapter 4, verse 14, and just talked about how that the whole world operates on this principle of a seed. There wouldn't be any vegetables, there wouldn't be any plants, there wouldn't be any grass, there wouldn't be any vegetation if it wasn't for a seed. There wouldn't be trees. There wouldn't be people if it wasn't for seeds. God created only two people and people reproduce by planting seed. And so the whole world operates on seed and we understand how important that is, but the kingdom of God also operates on seed. The Word of God is the seed and there's not going to be, there was only one virgin birth and there's not going to be another. There's not going to be a virgin birth in the spiritual realm. You aren't going to receive from God if you don't take the Word of God and plant these truths in your heart. And this is what I believe that all of... This is how I take this, that what God is saying to do in a crisis situation is to recognize what you've got. We now have... God has given us His Word, and if we know Him, if we take these promises through the Word of God, this is better than having an angel show up, than having a prophecy come to you, than having any of these other things that could happen. In a crisis situation, you've got to refocus on the Word of God and put God's Word preeminent and go to the Word, find what it is that you need to be able to deal with this situation, and you've got to cram the Word into your heart. And that's what Jesus was talking about. And so Philip in verse 8 said unto him, Lord, show us the Father and it'll satisfy us. In verse 9, Jesus said unto them, Have I been so long time with you and yet thou hast not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how sayest thou, show us the Father? Man, what a... You know, I believe that this... If you could have been discouraged... If Jesus would have been carnal, if he would have been like us, you know, this could have been really discouraging. Three years with these guys, teaching them everything you know, showing them the power and the glory of God, and these guys totally missed Jesus. Show us the Father and it will be satisfied. And he said, have I been so long time with you and you don't even know me? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Again, what they were looking for was something, you know, that radiated light or that could float from place to place or or something like that. They were looking for something supernatural, superhuman, and yet the Word was right in front of them the whole time and they were missing it. 
people, people often miss God because God delights in showing Himself in just really uh, natural ways. Think about this. When Jesus came to the earth, did you know that just with the knowledge that we have now, if we just took some of the technology and the advances that mankind knows now, not including that God can do infinitely greater than what man now can do, but just imagine if Jesus would have used a cell phone. Just think if Jesus would have come down and have ridden on a uh, 747 and landed outside of Jerusalem or something like that, if that's the way that he would have come to this earth. Just think if he used some of the things that we now have. Man, he could have awed people. He could have wowed people. He could have done all of these things. And yet he came in such a way that it took huge amount of faith to believe that this was God. You know, if any of you saw that movie, The Nativity, uh, that came out over the Christmas season. You know, I, I don't uh, know that it portrayed everything correctly or not, but it, it did a good job in some ways that it showed that, you know, just how meager this birth was, how poor they were, how he was born in a stable, and here were kings that came to worship, and, and they were coming to find the king of kings and the lord of lords, and they found him in a stable with a group of shepherds standing around. That's amazing. You know, you ought to get my Life for Today Bible, find out that the wise men didn't come to the stable. They actually came to Nazareth is where they found him, and it was nearly two years after his birth. But nonetheless, they found this man who was going to rule over the whole earth, and he was in the most humble, meager surroundings that you could possibly have. You know, there if any of us... The way that we think, if we were God and decided to become a man, we would have done it with more fanfare than that. We would have done something to draw attention to ourselves. And yet, God delights in doing things in a way that it takes faith for people to proceed. You know, it would have taken huge faith to come to a manger, see a baby born in a stall to humble parents with nothing but shepherds around and say, this is God. <laughs> man, that's awesome. And yet God, per, he, he gives enough evidence for you to know that it's Him. Um, but it takes faith. The Lord delights in faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. You know, the Lord, when He rose from the dead, think of this. When He rose from the dead, there was hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem because of the Passover, and they all saw Jesus crucified, and they all saw this. You know, all Jesus would have had to have done to have totally changed the situation is just hover over Jerusalem and linger there for a while and go around and let everybody see him resurrected. He could have risen with fanfare. And yet there isn't a single example of Jesus appearing to a non-believer after his resurrection. He never appeared to one unbeliever. If it would have been me, probably the very first person I would have appeared to wouldn't have been a woman who had demons cast out of her, but I would have probably gone to Pilate. And have woken him up and said, Pilate, are your hands clean now? Amen. I would have shaken the bed of those soldiers that mocked him and said, prophesy if you're the Christ. I'd have stood there, resurrected in front of them and said, let me tell you something. Man, you could have had them all on their face. You could have had everybody. But you know what? It wouldn't have been faith. It would have been fear. It would have been just forced to obey based on the facts. But it wouldn't have been a heartfelt thing of faith. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. God delights in faith. You know, the Lord could have a dog walk up to you every morning 
and tell you exactly what he wants you to do that day. He spoke through Balaam's donkey. He could have a dog talk to you and speak English and tell you everything you need. He could have a bird land on your shoulder and and whisper in your ear, I love you and turn left and turn right and do this and that. He could write your name on every cloud. God could speak in an audible voice. He could have angels appear to you. God can do all of those things. You know why he doesn't do it? Because that's not the nature of God. God loves faith. He, when he came on this earth, he, he functioned in ways that honestly, it took more faith for people in those days to believe that Jesus was the Christ than it does you because you don't have to look at that physical body and smell him and think, this is God. Amen. You can picture him any way you want to. You can close your eyes and see him seated on the right hand of God the Father. You can read Revelation and see him, you know, with his eyes of fire and feet like flaming brass. And you can picture him any way you want to. You can worship him and it's easier for you to accept Jesus as being God than it was for the people who physically walked with him. But the Lord doesn't want to manifest Himself in ways that removes all doubt and takes away all doubt from you. He wants you to operate in faith. Faith is what pleases God. And to us today, we have the written Word of God. And yet many of us aren't perceiving what we have. We think, oh, if I could have a prophecy, if I could have an angel, if somebody would come do this, if somebody would just touch me, and we're always looking for something else. There is a real comparison between what Jesus was telling His disciples here, that guys, you know me, and I'm the way. You don't need anything else. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And yet they weren't satisfied with that. Oh God, we need this and this. We likewise need to recognize that God anticipated whatever problem you could have. You can't have a problem that God hasn't already created the supply for. And in seed form, the power that it takes to raise people from the dead, to open up blind eyes, to overcome your doubt and fear, to give you revelation, to do anything you need, whatever it is that you need is right here in the Word of God. This is God speaking to us. I've had people come to me with the Bible under their arm and say, Oh, brother, do you have a word for me? And I want to point and say, right here, thousands, tens of thousands of words. And I've, I've actually done this to people before. And they say, oh, well, I know what this says. But I mean, do you have a fresh word as if this is stale? Do you have something specific to say to me? And this is the reason is that we just aren't taking this for what it really is. You know, if there's any of you that have never really experienced just As you study the word, like Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, that he was tired of being persecuted and he finally just said, you know what, I'm tired of this. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to speak anymore in the name of the Lord. Then he says, but your word was like fire shut up in my bones. I couldn't forbear. I had to speak. If you have never studied the word and had it come alive to you to where like it's like fire in your bones, if you haven't had the word of God explode on the inside of you, Uh, Boy, you're missing, in my estimation, I believe the greatest experience outside of personally being born again. Now, I was only eight years old when I got born again, and I don't remember a lot about it except I was fearful I was going to hell, and as soon as I prayed, I knew that was over, and I just experienced peace. I mean, I didn't come out of a terrible background, and so it might have been different, you know, if I would have been going through something terrible and God delivered me out of that. But in my life, it, just the Word of God 
Coming alive on the inside of me is the greatest experience that I've ever had. You know, over the holidays, man, I was so blessed. I was When I wasn't digging out of snow, I was studying the Word. I was at home. I was at home for a solid week. I didn't even leave my property for seven days. Man, that's that was awesome. And I studied the Word, and I remember telling Jamie that, man, that is the greatest thing, that I would rather study the Word than do anything else. I've seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open, people raised from the dead, and there's not anything that excites me as much as studying the Word and having God speak to me. And you know what? If you haven't experienced that, then I don't think that you're fully appreciating the Bible because this is so awesome that God can speak to you directly through the Word. And there's many times that we get into a crisis and we want a word from God and you go to praying and begging and pleading and complaining and everything else when the truth is you've already got a word right here. All you got to do is just let the Holy Spirit direct you and lead you in a certain direction and speak to you through the word. I tell you, the word of God is the most awesome thing that God has ever given us outside of our personal salvation. And yet most of us, just like the disciples didn't recognize who Jesus was, they didn't recognize, they said, oh God, we need something more. If we could just have something else, we'd be satisfied. There's many of us thinking, oh God, if I could just get this and this, I'd be satisfied. If the Word of God doesn't satisfy you, if you aren't content with the revelation that God has given and you're asking for something superior in addition to the Word of God, then you're just like these disciples that you weren't satisfied with Jesus. If Jesus doesn't satisfy you, nothing else is going to satisfy you. If the Word of God doesn't satisfy you, nothing is going to satisfy you. Well, those are strong statements. But I really believe that's true. And in a crisis situation, this is exactly what you've got to do. You've got to keep from panicking, start believing God, put the thing into perspective so that you aren't overwhelmed by it, and you've got to get focused on the Word of God. Actually, you need to do it before you're in a crisis situation, but at the very least... In the midst of a crisis situation, you need to focus on it. And so Jesus responded to them with, Man, have I been with you for three and a half years and you don't know me? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And he wasn't talking about his physical body. The Father was greater than Jesus' physical body. John 4.24 says God is a spirit. God isn't just a physical body. I'm not uh, doubting that He has a physical body. It's not physical like ours, but there is some material substance. You can see God. There is a visible representation. I don't understand all of that. But when Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father, He wasn't talking about if you've seen this physical body. God didn't look exactly like the physical body that Jesus inhabited. But God looked exactly like Jesus as far as His attitude as far as the love that he demonstrated to people, the forgiveness of people, his nature and character was a perfect, perfect representation of God. And that's what he was talking about. There's some people that look at this physical book and think, well, this can't be God. Well, these pages and these words aren't God. But what they say is God perfectly represented. This is a 100% perfect representation of God. It gives us all of the revelation of God that we need to be able to prosper. And I can guarantee you the Word, the living Word, not just these words on a page, but the living Word, this is God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's the attitude that you've got to have. 
And if you get that attitude, then when you're in a crisis situation, man, you go to the Word. What does the Word of God have to say about this? And all you got to do is have the Holy Spirit quicken to you truths from the Word of God, and it will solve whatever problem you've got. Man, that's powerful. This is the answer for whatever your question is. This has the answer for everything. I even heard a preacher one time who had a tent, and he held tent revivals. In the previous year, he came to Arlington, Texas, and held a tent, and a big storm came through and blew his tent down. Well, I went the next year, and I was at his very first service, and he got up and talked about that. And he says, you know, I believe the Word has an answer to everything. And so I went to the Lord to find out what the problem was with my tent. And he said, the Lord gave me an answer. Isaiah chapter 54 says, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. (laughs) <laughs> he says, God gave me the answer. And so he lengthened his cords and strengthened his stakes and it withstood a win that year. You know, and that's kind of funny. But really, I believe that the word has an answer for every possible situation. And brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of Christians that don't believe that. They really don't. There's a lot of people that go directly to God and just go to begging about God. Please speak to me, speak to me. And God has spoken to you and you haven't read it and you haven't studied it and you haven't opened up your heart. You don't need God to speak anything outside of Scripture to you. God can quicken Scripture to you. And and you know, I could spend a lot of time on this. I'm not going to do it during this session. But I'm not saying that, like, if you're praying about which house to buy, God's not going to tell you to buy the green one. Two-story on the corner. There isn't a scripture that says that. But there are scriptures that tell you how to hear God's voice and how to be led by God. There there are scriptures that will give you guidelines about sitting down and considering whether you have sufficient to do this before you do it. There are scriptures that will say, let the peace of God rule in your heart. There are scriptures that will guide you in what house to buy, what car to buy, how much to buy, what level of things you're supposed to live at. The Word of God has an answer for every single situation you can get into. And you need to just get this attitude. And when you come into a crisis situation, instead of running somewhere else, praying for an angel or something else, you need to go to God's Word. And you know, again, this is the exact logic that the Apostle Paul used when he was talking to the Colossians. Colossae was a a place that Paul never went to. Paul wrote a letter to them and he said in the first and second chapter of Colossae, he says, I, I'm praying for you and as many as have, has, as have not seen my face in the flesh. In other words, these people weren't direct converts of the Apostle Paul, but Paul was in Ephesus and a man named Epirus got saved and Epirus went back to Colossae and he's the one that shared the gospel that Paul had preached. So these were like grandkids to Paul and these people hadn't seen him and he says, man, I am concerned. I'm praying for you because you haven't seen me and I just want to make sure that you've understood everything properly. And then in the third verse, he says, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ Jesus. And the reason, the logic, if you were to take Colossians chapter 2 and read it through, what he's saying, he said, I'm saying all of these things lest any man beguile you with enticing words and deceive you. You know what he was doing? He was basically saying, you need to get into the Word of God and recognize the truth that you've got. And if you truly understood the truth, you cannot be led astray. Nobody could lie to you. Nobody could deceive you. 
If we had this commitment to the Word, and if we knew the Word of God, when you're in a crisis situation, there's people that sometimes, like a man that's drowning, will grab for anything that's afloat trying to survive. And there's people that will fall for doctrines and fall for error and go into unbelief, and it's because they don't truly know the Word of God. They're looking for answers from other places other than the Word. You ought to always be in the Word. You ought to always be looking to the Word. But in a crisis situation of all things, you need to be focused on the Word of God and you need to zero in on it and recognize that Jesus is the Word made manifest. This is a perfect representation of Him and you need to latch on to this Word with everything you've got. And that's what He was telling uh, His disciples here. In verse 11 it says, Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me or else believe me for the very work's sake. In other words, he's saying, take my word, believe the things that I've said. And if you are having trouble believing the word, well, then look at the miracles that I've produced. Look at the miracles I've performed. They testify of me. And Jesus said that the miracles he performed were probably the greatest testimony to who he truly was. And then he said this in verse 12. He says, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Man, that's a powerful scripture. If you believe on him, the same works that he did, we will do also, and even greater works than these, because he goes unto the Father. You know, I've had some people before counter me when I'm talking about miracles and people being healed and miracles happening today and people say, but I believe we're supposed to be doing the greater works. And the greater works are we're reaching more people, radio and television, we're doing this. And, you know, I would question that that's what he's talking about when he says greater works. But let's just forget that for a moment. What are you going to do with the part of the verse that says the same works that I do shall ye do also? You can't get around that. You know, until we get to where we're raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, seeing the blind eyes open, and until we're seeing every single person heal the way that Jesus did, we don't even need to worry about what the greater works are. We just need to stick with the works that Jesus did. We will do also. And this is not talking about something that passed away with the apostles. See, scriptures like this, if you just take the Word of God in a crisis situation, this will motivate you to recognize that you can do anything that Jesus did. He gave you this promise that the same works that He did, you will do also. And you need to take these verses and build yourself up with it. You know, when I, before I saw the very first person raised from the dead, this is one of the verses that I took. And I said, you know what? If the Word of God is true, if the Word that I've believed about salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all of these other things that I've believed, if all of this is true, well, then this verse is true. And you know what? I can't just say that I'm going to accept this part, but I'm not going to accept this part. This isn't written to just super saints. This isn't written to just apostles. This is Joe Blow Christian. If you believe, if you are a believer then you will do the same works that he did and even greater works than these. And you know, I took this verse and I began to meditate on this. I wrote this thing out and kept it on mirrors and I focused and said, in the name of Jesus, I will do these works. I am going to see these things come to pass. And you know what? When I focused on it, it wasn't very long until I started seeing the supernatural power of God manifest. You have to pursue these things. They don't come upon you automatically. They don't come upon you accidentally. You have to pursue it or you won't get it. You have to seek in order to find. 
And you need to take these, and especially in a crisis situation, remind yourself that I'm a believer and I will do the same works. I will see the power of God. And just look at the life of Jesus. If you're in a storm, Jesus stilled a storm. You still a storm. Amen. If you're about to sink, Jesus walked on the water. You can walk on the water. Man, if somebody's coming against you, trying to kill you, whatever. Jesus walked right through a multitude that was trying to kill him. You can do the exact same works. Jesus saw the dead raised, saw the blind eyes open. You can believe for those things. Man, this is a faith builder. You know, I was preaching on this. This has been about 1980. I was preaching this exact same series on the Christian survival kit. And I was in um, Corpus Christi, Texas. And the pastor of that church, Fred Zumwalt, as I was ministering about this and talking about believing for the people to be raised from the dead, um, Fred Zumwalt just said, you know what? I agree. That's something that we need to believe. And I finished, I started on Sunday and I ended up on Wednesday and I left that place. And he started meditating on this. And on Sunday morning, he got up in front of his Assembly of God church and he says, man, that was a word from God for this church. He says, we are going to see people raised from the dead. We're going to see everything happen in this church that Jesus saw happen. And he says, it won't happen unless we believe for it. And he, as the pastor, just stood there and he says, I'm telling you, this is what I'm believing for. God has spoken this into my heart and we're going to start seeing the supernatural power of God. And while he was preaching, a man stood up, grabbed his heart and fell over. And there was a nurse in the audience and she went up and pronounced him dead. The guy died right in front of him. And they called 911, and they, the uh, uh, firehouse was right across the street from them. And they called 911, and it took over 20 minutes for them to respond and get there. And so, you know, the whole service was over. They had about 100, 200 people in church, and he was just sitting there, and, and you know, what do you do? This guy's dead, laying on the floor. They were waiting on 911 to come, and Fred was sitting there just... You know, kind of waiting to see what happened. All of a sudden, it dawned on him. This is what he was preaching about. We're going to see the dead raised. And he says, you know what? This is it. Let's pray. And he prayed. And by the time 9-11 got there, I mean, the, the emergency crews got there, this guy was raised from the dead. And he was standing there. And they came in, got him, and put him on a stretcher and took him to the uh, hospital. And before the service was over, this guy was back. They had released him. And the guy was mad because he had to pay for a taxi to get from the hospital back. And he made the preacher pay his taxi fee because he didn't want to go to the hospital in the first place. But anyway, they saw a guy raised from the dead within just a matter of days of somebody standing on this and saying, you know, that they're going to start believing God. I tell you what, the Word of God, if you would just allow it, if you just took this one scripture, this is a scripture that literally I took and meditated on. I started seeing people raised from the dead. And I didn't know it at the time, but I didn't need this for my own son. Praise God for the Word. Man, this has got power in it. It's just like a seed, you know, a little tiny seed. There, I've got some rocks on my property that are over 100 feet tall, huge boulders. And yet there's little cracks and seeds get in there. And I've got one rock that a seed has split that thing and grown a tree and it has split that boulder in two. Man, this little tiny seed that you could crush with your fingers can split a boulder. Tremendous power in it. The power that's in these seeds, if you would just take it in your heart and go to believe it, this word right here is enough for you to see the dead raised, the blind eyes open, whatever it is that you need. And when you get into a crisis situation, you got to 
approach things this way and recognize that the answer isn't out there somewhere and you're just, you aren't praying saying, oh God, please send me an angel. God, do something new. God, do this. God has already given you what you need to be able to overcome any situation. It, before a crisis would be better, but at the very least, in the midst of a crisis situation, get into the Word of God and begin to meditate on the Word of God and let the Word of God build faith on the inside of you. Romans chapter uh, 10, verse 17, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Man, you get your faith. Your faith is quickened as you study the Word of God. And in verse 13, it says, And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. Boy, in the midst of a crisis situation, you ought to be latching on to scriptures like this. You ought to be holding on to this and saying, Father, this is what your word says. Your word will never pass away. You uphold all things by the word of your power and you need to take scriptures like this and stand on it and literally defy your situation, defy the devil, defy the doctor's report or the banker's report or anybody else's report. Romans 3, 4, let God be true and every man a liar. You're going to have to get strong in the word of God. And I tell you, that's one of the greatest antidotes for whatever problem it is that you've got. The Word of God's your answer. So we're talking about what to do in a crisis situation. You can't panic. You've got to grab hold of your emotions. You've got to start trusting, believing in God. You've got to put it into perspective and realize that it's just, you know, a light affliction. It's going to come to pass. And then you've got to go to the Word of God and start building your faith and get focused on the promises of God instead of focused on all of those other negative things that are coming your way. You know, take the Word of God and recognize the power that's in the Word. Just like the disciples didn't recognize that Jesus was the Word, that He was the answer, they were looking for something more. Most of us look right past the Bible looking for help, and all of the help you need is right here in the Bible.